millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. This is to Luke. Um your family and your friends love and miss you dearly. Nothing you have done or said or do currently will affect that in any way, shape, or form. You need to get in touch with someone. Get in touch with your sister. Get in touch with your father. Get in touch with your brother. We're all accessible. Send a letter. Send a note. We need to know that you're okay. I love you, son, and I miss you. And I sure would love to see you and hug you again. Thank you. He's missed a lot of major events. He missed the birth of his niece um, from his sister. He missed the birth of his brother's children. Um, His father had a heart attack, but thankfully has recovered. His grandfather has passed away. His sister Jolene uh, got married. His youngest sister will be 16 shortly. He wasn't even there for her first birthday. Ambiguous grief is defined as a loss that occurs without a significant likelihood of reaching emotional closure or a clear understanding. For the family members of missing people, this feeling can be characterized as a person who is physically absent, yet psychologically present. Days, months, and years go by without concrete answers. On June 7th, 2007, a 14-year-old boy walked out of a Prince George secondary school and into the fog-filled morning. His family have not seen him or heard from him since. One moment he was sitting beside his mother, and the next, he was gone. Tonight, we present the disappearance of Lucas Daggerness, and you are listening to True North True Crime.
everyone, and welcome to the 50th episode of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. You may notice our theme music has changed. We figured the 50th episode would be a good time for a bit of a change. We want to thank some folks for buying coffees this week. A huge thanks to Alexa, Urs, Lisa, and Sherry. If you would like to donate a coffee to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. True North True Crime is an independent podcast bringing attention to stories of missing people and victims of violent crime. We are a two-person team building these episodes from start to finish. We do take suggestions for episodes and prioritize cases that come directly from family members or close contacts of those cases. If you have a case for us, feel free to reach out at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight we are talking about the disappearance of 14-year-old Lucas Deggerness. Lucas went missing on June 7, 2007 from Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. Lucas, who would be 29 years old today, has a profile on the missingkids.ca database. On the website, he is described as 5 foot 8, 140 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. The last confirmed sighting of Lucas was in 2007 in Prince George. If you have any information about Lucas, you can contact missingkids.ca at 1-866-KID-TIPS or call Crime Stoppers. This case was brought to us by Jolene, who is Lucas's sister. We were able to put this episode together by using publicly available news articles, and we also had a conversation with Jolene and Lucas's mother, Gina. If you are familiar with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous People awareness campaigns, you will have seen or heard from Gina before. She is a fierce advocate for her son and other missing and murdered men and boys. We are grateful to Jolene for bringing this story to us. Lucas's family is from the Tetlagwichin First Nation, which is located in the Fort McPherson area of the Northwest Territories. This area is also known as Treaty 11. The English translation of Tetlagwichin is People of the Headwaters, which is a reference to the Peel River. Lucas James Deggerness, or Luke for short, was born on January 29, 1983 in the northern town of Kitimat, B.C. He was actually one of the largest babies born in town that year at 11 pounds, 2 ounces. Lucas has two older siblings, Jolene and Terry, and also a younger sister who he has not met due to his disappearance. Her name is Jade. Gina expresses that for most of Luke's childhood, things were pretty stable at home, although she admits she did play a little bingo. Eventually, the family moved to Prince George, our listeners will know Prince George from our previous episodes about Colton Flurry and also the Jack family. While at school in Prince George, Lucas created a very solid friend group and was well-liked at school. Gina and Lucas's father did not remain together. However, Gina describes Luke's father as a good man and a good father. It seems that Luke's dad got married and resided in Kitimat. Gina remained in Prince George for about eight years with Lucas. We asked Jolene, Lucas's sister, what she remembers of her younger brother. Uh, yeah, like I said, like Luke and I didn't grow up together, but um, he did come to visit me when he was two or three years old, I think. And uh, 
I just remember meeting him for the first time and just falling in love. And uh, I just remember what a silly kid he was. And he was so chatty. Oh my gosh. He talked everyone's ear off. Um, And we got to go on, you know, this boat ride. And I just remember him driving the boat and like, that's just like this treasured memory that I have of, you know, spending some really good time with my little brother. (laughs) Um, And then we spent some more time together when he was a teenager um, and I went to live with him and Gina for a bit. And yeah, you know, I just, the thing that I always think about, about Luke is, you know, his voice, like I love his voice and, and his laugh and, you know, yeah, it was, you know, we could be silly and goofy together. And uh, I just, I remember that he, you know, kind of, he was surprised when I wore like feminine clothing because he thought of me as a tomboy. And I just, I thought that was so funny because I didn't really think of myself as a tomboy. But uh, yeah, I loved being around him. Like he was just fun, um, really funny, super chatty, just, yeah, just a great kid for sure. Gina expressed similar sentiments towards Lucas. She describes him as an awesome kid, kind, funny, caring, loved his family, his friends, and his bike. Like many families in Canada, Gina had a period of struggle where she needed to find more consistent work. She saw Edmonton as a city with more opportunities. So she left British Columbia to make a fresh start in Edmonton. Lucas remained in British Columbia and lived with his dad in Kitimat. But Gina shared with us that she believes that Lucas was abused by his father's now ex-wife. This was a short period of time that Lucas lived in Kitimat. When Gina heard of the abuse, she had Lucas move to Edmonton to be closer to her. And it appears that it was in Edmonton that life became more difficult for Lucas. For those listeners who moved around as kids, you may relate to Lucas's feelings. Edmonton just wasn't a good fit for him. He struggled to make friends, and in Gina's words, he hated it there. For a period of time, though, he was hanging out at a local mall, and it seemed that he had made a group of friends. But one day, Lucas just stopped going there. Gina, who had just given birth to Lucas's younger sister, noticed a shift in Lucas's mood, and she became concerned. One day while Lucas was in the other room, she took a look at his laptop, and she noticed some concerning messages. And I was back in Edmonton. Um... And then I found out he was making inquiries. His his buddy had an older brother who was in the blood game. And um, I interp- or I got a message of him asking his buddy, hey, ask your older brother how I can join the Bloods. Well, as soon as I read that, I booked us plane tickets back to Prince George, B.C. So as Gina just stated... Lucas was inquiring as to how to join a street gang in the city of Edmonton. This, combined with his shift in mood, was incredibly concerning for Gina. Gina made the choice to send Lucas to live with her sister in Prince George. Gina knew that she would have more family support there and felt that would be a safer environment for Lucas. As stated, Gina had just given birth at the time, so picking up and leaving Edmonton was not going to be easy. She sent Lucas off to Prince George and then followed him one month later after she settled her affairs in Edmonton. At this time, Lucas had just turned 14. So in March of 2007, Lucas moved to Prince George and lived with his aunt. 
Lucas was enrolled at Prince George Secondary School. And it seemed that Lucas could not catch a break. When he arrived in Prince George, he just assumed that he would pick up with his old friend group. But it had been four years since he lived in Prince George. And for 14-year-olds, that's an eternity. In short, things did not work out. And Lucas was again finding it difficult to make connections. Making this more challenging, Gina was struggling to create the stable environment that she knew that he needed. She had just given birth, and she was trying to arrange appropriate housing for her family. At first, she relied on the help of close relatives. My mother, my daughter, and myself arrived in Prince George, and we had nowhere to live. We were homeless. So we moved there. My sister and I are kind of like oil and water. So there was quite a bit of background fighting. And so there was conflict there. And poor Luke loves us all and just wanted, you know, like calmness. and It wasn't happening. So it was not, it was a pretty turbulent kind of background that he was living in. Um, and he went, like I said, he was having trouble reconnecting with his old friends. He thought it'd be, he'd just kind of swoop in and be the same. But after that many years apart and the age as they were, they just kind of didn't really click anymore. So by June of 2007, Gina was living with her baby and some relatives. And Lucas was living with his aunt. During this time, Lucas had started smoking a little cannabis. He wasn't into drinking or hard drugs, but he was smoking pot and skipping school. As a result of skipping school, Lucas was failing one of his classes. This was concerning for Gina, obviously, so she set up an appointment with the vice principal. The meeting was set up for Thursday, June 7th, 2007. Gina recalled some of her feelings around that morning. It was kind of an odd morning. Um... It was drizzly and misty out and I had to walk. I had no car. I had to walk from my sister's place down to my father's place. So, and Luke also was staying between my father's place and my sister's place. And I was trying my hardest to, to find us a place, but I had a seven month old baby that needed me too. So she kind of had to take priority because Luke was well, 14. Um, so we were really living an unsettled kind of life. And we hadn't been back together as as mother and son to really have a bonding time. So after being gone just over two years, we had 11 days to try and reconnect and rebond. It didn't give us enough time. Um, But we love each other. We're mother and son. But I had to then concentrate on the baby. So we were not, I'm not going to say distant, but I had to prioritize the baby a little bit more. And then with trying to find a place that was making life pretty difficult. So on the morning of the meeting with the school, Gina arranged for a family member to watch the baby. She also asked for her father to give them a ride to the school. But before the meeting, Lucas revealed to Gina that he needed to talk to her about something important. So the morning of, um, I went to pick him up at Grandpa's. Grandpa was giving us a ride to school. And I had the baby at home and mom was watching the baby and the, she had to go somewhere else. So I had to be fast to this meeting and back because I didn't have anybody to watch the baby. So we were standing outside waiting for my dad to start the truck. And he says to me, mom, I really have something important to talk to you. And it's really, really important. Can we walk to school? And it was quite a walk. Um, and it would take at least 20 minutes to walk there 
probably a little more, but um, can we walk and talk? And I said, I said, well, you know, it's raining out, like we're going to be soaking wet and I have to get back for the baby. So I said, I'm sorry, but can we talk after, like after our meeting up, we will talk, but grandpa's going to give us a ride and we got to kind of hurry. So off we went and um, we had our meeting. He was failing one class and he was going to have to take a summer school class. And he was saying, no, 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 I'm not going. And I'm like, yes, you are. And that's all there is to it. Um, so he wasn't happy about that. But then um, I said, well, does he need to stay here while we work out the details, the time of the class, the day of the class, how long is it going to be out of his summer? What have you? Does he need to be here for that? And he, the vice principal said, no, he doesn't. I said, OK, well, you can go, up, you know, go up to class. So we sent him up to class. And we finished our meeting, it took about another 20 minutes. And I was going to leave and go home to the baby. And at that time, I was probably going to have to walk. Um, but the vice principal said to me, he said, well, he goes, why don't we go up and, and see if he actually made it up to class? And I didn't even think that, like it never entered my head. My kid was pretty decent about his word. Like he, he didn't lie to me or anything like that. Little bit of lying. Every kid does, but not, not anything important. Right. To this day, Gina does not know what Lucas wanted to say to her that morning. So they had their meeting with the vice principal. And Lucas was told he would have to take summer school. This, of course, is the thing that no teenager wants to hear. According to Gina, Luke wasn't happy about it, but he seemed to take it in stride. Gina and the vice principal sent Lucas back to class, and about 20 minutes later, the VP suggested that they check to see to make sure that Lucas had made it to class. When they arrived at his classroom, Lucas was not there. He had never showed up to class at all. Now, the vice principal knew all of the hiding spots around the school where kids would go when they didn't want to be found. So Gina and the vice principal walked around the school, but they were unable to find Lucas. This, of course, was not an era when mobile phones were common among teens. So Gina had no way of getting in touch with Lucas. The principal suggested that Gina go across the street to check out the mall. It was common for teens skipping class to go and hang out there. So she did. Keep in mind, Gina had her baby at home that she needed to get back to, and she had no reason to believe at the time that Lucas was missing. It was only probable at this time that he had skipped school, not gone missing. Well, yeah, let's go look. And principals and vice principals, they know where all the kids hang out. They think they don't know, but the adults know. So we checked out the smoke pit. We went up to his class. He wasn't there. He hadn't made it there, hadn't even showed up. We checked out all the hidey holes, places around the school. And this is uh, from grade 8 to 12 school. And there's about 1,700 students there. So there's quite a big population. And then uh, it's called Prince George Senior Second Secondary, PGSS for short. So all the youth from there would go across the um, road to the main mall there in Prince George called Pine Center Mall. So... I said, okay, we spent probably half an hour looking the school and we, he's not here. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go check the mall since it's right across the street before I go home. So I went and scoured the mall and I didn't check him with security and I should have, but I didn't because I couldn't find him. And it's a pretty small mall. Um, it was probably 60,000 people there. So there wasn't a lot, but it was one of the main malls. I would have found him. 
if he had have been hanging out there, I would have found him. I didn't. So by then I just, I had to get home. I had to get back to the baby. So I went back home and I didn't worry about it too much. He'd done this before, but the difference was he did not email me and he did not phone me. So if he was going to choose to not come home, he would do one or the other because he knew I'm a worry ward and he did neither. So by the time I got up in the morning, the following morning, I realized I hadn't heard from him. He didn't email, he didn't phone. And I immediately was on the phone to the RCMP and I lucked out. I totally lucked out. They immediately took it seriously and immediately started looking for him. So as you just heard, after searching for Lucas on her own, she returned home to her baby. As she woke the next day to find that Lucas still hadn't returned to where he was staying, she became increasingly concerned and immediately contacted the RCMP. The RCMP and Prince George took her concerns seriously and immediately began using their members to search for Lucas. A sighting came in early into the search. A young man named Lucas was seen at a local drug house. Now, the RCMP cannot just walk into someone's home, especially when the people living there are involved in crime. They tend to not want the RCMP to come into their homes. The RCMP suggested that Gina ask them for permission to enter the home. Gina approached the home and knocked on the door. She explained her situation that she was a mom looking for her missing teenage boy. Much to her surprise, they allowed her to search their home. She searched under beds and in closets, but there was no Luke. But, oddly, there was a Luke. It just wasn't her Luke. Moments after Gina knocked on the door, a young man named Luke fled the home and jumped the back fence. He was later found, and his resemblance to Luke Deggerness is uncanny. This problem of other people named Luke or who resembled Luke in Prince George and beyond would muddle this investigation many times. But as the first 48 hours into Luke's disappearance ticked off the clock, he was nowhere to be found. Lucas Deggerness, a 14-year-old boy, walked out of his high school on June 7th, 2007, and seemed to vanish into the foggy Prince George morning. It has been almost 15 years since he went missing, and for Luke's family, it has been a heartbreaking roller coaster of sightings and tips, but no answers. We are now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we will learn about the searches, the sightings, and the investigation into the disappearance of Lucas Deggerness. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Okay, we are back. So before the break, we outlined the details that led up to the disappearance of Lucas Degerness, a 14-year-old who was living in Prince George, British Columbia. Luke attended a meeting at school with his mom, Gina, and the vice principal. It was decided that Luke would attend summer school to catch up on his grades. After leaving the meeting, Lucas did not return to class. Instead, it is suspected that he walked out of the school. But where he went and where he is today remains unknown. As many of you know, Prince George is a city that sits along Highway 16, which has been known as the Highway of Tears. So when a young person goes missing in this area, it is a great concern. For the rest of this episode, Gina and Jolene will help us to outline what has gone on in the search for Lucas over the past 15 years. Gina will be mentioning a few people and organizations who helped her along the way. One of the people that she mentions quite a bit is Gladys Raddick. Gladys is a missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls advocate and the organizer of the March for Justice walks. Gladys works closely with families who are struggling to find answers for their missing or murdered loved ones in Canada. There are many other groups and people who have helped Gina on this journey. One of those groups is known as Butterflies in Spirit. If you have been watching the news at all in the past few years, you will know who they are. They are a group of survivors of violence or family members of missing and murdered people. They advocate internationally for missing and murdered Indigenous people through live performance, marches, and events. I met a core group of women there that were just incredible, and they have a group. And I'm going to share this because it's important to me, and they've supported me. And they're called Butterflies of the Spirit. They're world-renowned. They're a dance troupe. They raise awareness for the missing and murdered Indigenous women. They're founded by a bunch of ladies that unfortunately had victims of Robert Pickton's farm. Um, and the there's a, a guy there. He's a drummer. His name is Garrett. He wears my son's T-shirt. So the Butterflies of the Spirit had a, a T-shirt done with my son's picture on it date of his disappearance all the details and gifted it to me there was a bit of a ceremony to it and Garrett wears that t-shirt to every performance that he attends for butterflies and spirit Um, they're a worthy cause Um, if you have opportunity please support them Uh, they travel worldwide they've been invited to many countries they're they're very powerful performing group So over the years, Gina has received some information as to where Lucas may have been in the first few days after he first went missing. She did not learn these details in real time, but rather many years later. While there were early sightings of Lucas, none of these were confirmed by family members. Apparently after Lucas left the school, he began to fend for himself and lived rough in Prince George. A woman came forward years later to tell Gina that Lucas had been staying on her couch. Apparently, Lucas was a friend of the woman's daughter. She allowed Lucas to stay on the couch for three or four days, but he was eventually asked to leave. We are unsure if she knew that Lucas was missing. After that, Gina was speaking to a counselor working at Victim Services who told her that Lucas had been sleeping on an abandoned couch in her laneway. Other rumors went around Prince George over the years included sightings of Lucas sleeping in mobile show homes in the heart area of Prince George. Another story relayed to Gina had Lucas showing up at a friend's home with a bag of food. He apparently cooked some burgers, ate, and then left again. 
It would appear that this burger night was the last credible sighting of Lucas in the Prince George area. Again, they were not confirmed sightings by family members. The search for Lucas in Prince George continued to be hampered by the existence of the other Lucas in town. The multiple sightings of the other Lucas led people in town to assume that Lucas Daggerness had been found. So one day I was standing in the social services office and my son's missing poster was on the wall. And this lady in line says to me, oh, I hate that that boy has been found. I don't know why they won't take all these posters down. And I said, oh, because they looked alike too. Not only did they have the same name, the same age and look alike, it's in the same t- small city. So I, I I thought I would need to find out what this lady's saying. And she, she said, yeah, they found him and he's at home. And I don't know why they don't get rid of this. And I let her go on. And then finally I said, well, I said, um, I have to tell you that this young man is my son. I am his mother. And I'm telling you right now, he has not been found. And that's when I started the Facebook group. And I have not seen or talked to my son since we sent him to class that morning. As the years went on, tips began to come in from Vancouver and the lower mainland of British Columbia. In 2011, Gina made one of many trips to Vancouver to try to find Lucas. This is a trip that has been made by far too many parents and loved ones of missing persons. This trip involved postering, meetings with the Vancouver police, walking the streets of the downtown east side, visiting shelters and youth services. One of the most credible tips came in from the manager of the Vancouver Recovery Club. She had noticed a young man matching Lucas's description attending meetings and accessing services. So the Vancouver Police Department have, has their own missing persons unit, and they found this Lucas that the recovery manager was talking about. Unfortunately, it wasn't my Lucas. And he had a lot of mental health issues. And he looked startlingly similar to my son, just older. So the tips that I received, the the VPD were able to kind of verify, say it was not my son. They were able to figure out who it was because they had names and dates and it just wasn't. And then also while I was there, they found an individual claiming to be Luke. He was using the name Luke. I don't think he was trying to identify as my son in particular, but there was enough similarities and everything. They put him in a photo lineup and had me go into the missing persons unit and look at this photo lineup. And I tried so hard to make it him, but it wasn't him. On this trip, Gina spent about 10 days on foot searching for Lucas, but eventually went back home, still with no answers. Yeah, so we checked out parks and I was out all day and hours and I frightened poor Gladys one night. I was on, I think, Granville and it was like three in the morning. So we'd go out when most of the homeless people would be wandering around. We wouldn't go out during the day and stuff so much. We did, of course, because I was, we were 24-7 looking for her. I had a, a woman that I'd never met. Her name's Michelle Pinot. Her daughter was unfortunately a Robert victim. victim. We hadn't, hadn't even met. So Gladys got the Grand Chief Philip Stewart to make up 700 colored posters of my son to hang around Vancouver and Michelle has trouble sleeping. Well, that lady without even meeting me, not knowing me from Adam or my son, by the time I left Vancouver, she had that poster posted in every transit station in Metro Vancouver. What an amazing lady. I, I love her dearly, but these, there was a core group of five or six and they run Aboriginal front door and Mona. She just did an APTN taken 
um, series. They're incredible, incredible, incredible people. They didn't know me from Adam. They took care of me. They, I, they made sure I was never alone because what I was, what I was originally going to do, and I didn't tell my family this, is I was broke. I was going to hitchhike from Prince George to Vancouver, look for my son. I was going to stay at the shelters and go to the soup kitchens because first off, I was broke. Second of off, that's where he'd be, I would think. But they took care of me. They made sure I had a safe place to stay. I had food. I They paid for the fuel. And we used Gladys's van to go look. And they got the posters made. They had an interview by the province done for me, which would have been front page. But it was on the second page of the province, which is pretty prominent. So they just were such a learning experience for me because, unfortunately, of their experience at trying to locate missing loved ones or murdered loved ones and support them. And um, it was just incredible what they did. Despite the lack of tangible leads, the RCMP continued to conduct interviews and revisit key aspects of the case. Jolene, Gina, other family members and friends were interviewed multiple times over the years. Investigators had hoped that as the years went on, that people would be more inclined to share information that perhaps they had been scared to share in the past. For all intents and purposes, Lucas's case seems like that of a runaway. However, the footprints of life end in Prince George. This was a 14-year-old boy in 2007. The services available for youth on the streets were sparse. Youth on the street at this time lived quite rough. It is doable to use soup kitchens, food banks, and the like, but it's not easy. Finding shelter or accessing social services between the ages of 14 and 19 would be incredibly difficult without ID, especially when your face is on a missing persons poster across British Columbia. We asked Gina if there was any activity on Lucas's social insurance number or anything federally recorded now that he is an adult. I phoned Revenue Canada and asked the fellow, I told the, the fellow on the phone my story and I said, all I need to know from you is, is there any activity on his social insurance number? Meaning he would have used it to get a job or apply for housing or what have you. And he, he, he said, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to. And he said, no, there has been nothing. So the police have access to all that. And they've checked all that. They've monitored that. And they what they call the footprints of life ended with his disappearance. There's been no bank activity, no Facebook activity, no social media activity, no attempts to access any kind of social services here in Canada. That's not to say he hasn't left Canada. It happens. At that time, you know, borders were pretty wide open. So I have faith. I have hope. I have to. The Canadian Centre for Child Protection's Missing Kids program also became involved and launched their own investigation. And it was through them that a massive lead appeared. In April 2013, an anonymous caller phoned the Missing Kids hotline. In 2013, it was not an organizational policy to record or trace these phone calls. The caller identified himself as Lucas Degerness. The caller went on to say that he was safe and that he wanted Gina to know he was okay. Gina walked us through what happened that day. I got a phone call from Missing Children's Society Canada and they said, this is going to sound really odd, but we have a person we'd like to conference call you with. It'll be a three-way call. So all three of us can hear and talk to each other. And we're going to ask you some questions that are 
probably going to seem a little strange and a little odd, but we just want to talk to you and, and ask you if you're willing to take this call and answer these questions without any prior knowledge. And I said, absolutely. I mean, I'm willing to pretty much do anything for my, to find my son. So this call happens. Um, and they asked me some, what is his nickname? How do you pronounce your last name? Da, 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 da. And I, I answered everything. And then at the end, they recorded and everything. And then at the end, they, then they, this, they told me why they were doing that. And they said, okay, so here's what's happened. Somebody called missing children society, Canada claiming to be Luke. And we're like 90% certain it was him, which is why we've contacted you. And we want to, how he responded. They want to know if that's how we pronounced her last name. Cause we've got a different last name. It's usually degenerous, but it's not degenerous. And to try and kind of validate or eliminate this caller. Now he said he wanted to talk to his mom and he would call back and, but to let her know he was safe, he was okay. And that was the end of it. Now, at the time, they didn't have recording capabilities or tracing capabilities, which I believe has changed now. And it was because of that. Um, but whatever happened, this person has never called back or contacted again. And I truly believe it was some do-gooder who was trying to comfort me. That's what I think happened there. Somebody, because a few days Prior to this phone call, an article had come out and it had been quite well spread, well known. And I think somebody who read it or heard it or what have you wanted to comfort me. Uh, and I don't need that kind of comfort. I appreciate the effort. I truly say thank you for trying, but it just muddles the waters. It's it, uh, no, please don't do that. So obviously this was incredibly disappointing for everyone that the caller has never called the number again. On April 23rd of 2013, Gina took to the media to ask the caller to please call back. She looked in the camera and spoke directly to Luke, asking him to contact his family. She expressed that he was loved, that no one was mad at him, and that his family missed him. No one has called. One year later, in April of 2014, another credible tip came in. The Canadian Centre for Child Protection announced that they had received information that Lucas was sighted on the west coast of Vancouver Island, specifically in the town of Tofino, British Columbia. Tofino is a surfing tourism hotspot with a seasonal transient workforce that travels in and out of the area. It would have been a perfect place to find Lucas, who at this time would have been around 21 years old. However, eventually a resident of Tofino came forward. She was able to prove that the person people thought was Luke was actually her son. He was not Lucas Daggerness. During the course of a missing person investigation, it is oftentimes impossible to rule out the concept of foul play. While this case reads a lot like a runaway, there are elements that remain concerning. While in Edmonton, Lucas was hanging out at a local mall. He had made a group of friends there, but one day, he stopped going there, almost as if something had happened. A short while later, he looked into joining a street gang. This could be perceived as needing to be protected. Did something happen in Edmonton 
that made Lucas fear for his young life. In the weeks after Lucas went missing, threatening messages were posted on his Facebook wall. Gina explained to us what exactly happened. There were two young ladies shortly after, a couple months after he left that put on his Facebook page. Teaches you to mess with us. And it was, I remember the teaches you, the messes with us, or it might have been, teaches you to fuck around with us. Could have been that. I'm not absolutely sure, but it was teaches you to mess with us. R.I.P. Luke. And I was stunned and shocked and crying. So I told the police this, and they had apparently, this was from Prince George. They apparently, and these girls were in Edmonton. They apparently sent somebody to talk to the girls and the girls first off tried to deny it, but it was a public post on his wall. Then they said, oh, we were just kind of fooling around, arguing with the kid and whatever. I want to find those young ladies because I'm in Edmonton. They're probably young mothers. And I want to know, I want them re-questioned because perhaps their stories have changed. Because there was an incident before we left Edmonton. You, this part you want to include, I think. Um, Luke used to go to Millwood's Town Center Mall. And... He, he was fanatic about going there, that he had made friends there and loved going there. He went there daily. And then all of a sudden one day, and this is when close to the time that I looked on his laptop, he all of a sudden quit going there and stayed home for a few days. And I was like, what's going on? Like, what happened? He wouldn't tell me. Oh, nothing, mom, nothing, mom. But I knew something was up. So it made me suspicious. And when he was in the shower, uh, he accidentally left the laptop open with his messaging service there. And I went on and that's when I found the message from or from him to his buddy. How do I join the Bloods? And then, like I said, scooted him back to Prince George, B.C. But that's not to say because of that posting R.I.P. loop that these chicks in Edmonton maybe knew somebody or maybe somebody traveled to Prince George and did harm to my son. I don't know, but I would like them talk to you again because they're young, mature ladies now, potentially mothers. And I want to be there. I want them, these two young ladies who put RIP Luke on my son's wall to look at me in my face and tell me they had nothing to do with his disappearance. I think me being there might be powerful enough if something happened to him because of them and whatever happened with them and Luke. And I know something happened with them maybe it would give them compassion enough to fess up. This made us wonder about the conversation that Lucas wanted to have with Gina before the meeting with the vice principal. Lucas stated to Gina that he needed to talk to her about something, something important, that he had a decision to make. What was this about? Did it have anything to do with his safety? Why was he looking for the protection of the Bloods in Edmonton? Why would these girls post on his wall, R.I.P. Luke teaches you to fuck with us? We asked Gina if it is possible that these things are connected. So, yeah, there's absolutely a chance that something could have happened. Uh, there could have been a threat to him. Maybe that's what that important thing was he wanted to talk to me about. And he had he said he had his he had a choice to make an important choice to make. And he'd like to talk to me about it. I am. I will regret the to my grave I didn't have time to ask him to have that conversation with them 
but that spilt milk. It has happened. So, but I want to talk to these girls. I want these women, these young women talk to. I think it's very important to either eliminate them or find out. At the start of this episode, we spoke about ambiguous loss. Few people can understand the feelings that the families of missing people go through. We try to use this podcast as a platform for families to speak and be heard. It's our hope that when a listener hears it directly from a family member, that the impact can be greater. Lucas's sister, Jolene, shared with us about what she has gone through emotionally and psychologically over the years since Luke vanished. What happened for me personally was I think I was so stunned that I completely put it like in the back of my mind. And I was like in survival mode for a lot of years. And it wasn't until the 10th year anniversary that I finally let myself feel that loss. Like it's insane how the mind can protect you that way. Cause I really think that I just kind of went into shock and, and I just did not feel those feelings, but then the 10 years hit and um, I don't know. I think it was also because I was settled at that point before that I was moving around. I was doing a million different things and I had finally sat still for a while and yeah, I was able to finally process that Luke is missing. Um, And I actually, for myself personally, had to do a little ceremony where, you know, I wrote him a letter and I just prayed and I gave it to the land. And, you know, that's sort of what propelled me into this place where I am today, which is like, I want to be a part of spreading awareness and bringing attention to Luke's case. But you know, like I said, up until that 10 year mark, I was just surviving and I was just avoiding. And um, yeah, I just think that like as a human being, we have all of these protective things that we do for ourselves and it's so powerful. But I think if I had to share a message, it's, you know, to feel it, it, it hurts. Like it really, really hurts. But I think also in allowing myself to feel that sadness, I've been able to, like I said, I've been thinking so much of Luke and just how much I love his voice and how much I miss being silly and goofy with my brother. And, you know, like in avoiding the pain, I was also avoiding those beautiful memories that I have of him. And yeah, like that's, I guess that's just where I'm at the you know, the other thing that it's brought up for me is like Luke has a niece, like Luke went missing in 2007. And I had a daughter in 2008. So she has not met her uncle. And, um, and it and it hurts my heart that she doesn't get to have that relationship with him, because I, I, I just know he would be a great uncle, just his personality, like he would be such a great uncle. We typically think of loss as a black and white event. Your loved one is alive, or they're not. But ambiguous loss is an uncertain loss without clear boundaries or resolution. It's an event that can leave you in a grief limbo, and it makes finding closure exceptionally difficult for the people involved. Ambiguous loss is one of the most stressful forms of grief, and it can result in mental health challenges that can present like post-traumatic stress disorder. 
There is no direct solution to ambiguous loss, especially when the outcome a person is seeking is not guaranteed. But the feelings can be mitigated through therapy and connection. One of those mitigations is letting people know that they are not alone. This is why we always ask families how our listeners can help. We never know who will hear an episode and what they can offer. We asked Jolene how our listeners can help. Uh, definitely share the episode, share any information that's out there. Like there's a TikTok about Luke, um, share his missing poster, just share, 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 join the Facebook group, spread awareness. Yeah. Get Luke's story and face out there. Gina shared similar sentiments. Uh, well, like Jolene says, uh, share. Even if it's years back and you think it's an insignificant happening or comment or rumor, you call the tip line. <clears throat> Use the anonymous email to, for, to Crime Stoppers. If you have any knowledge, please share. Share the this episode. Just share. Join my Facebook group. Find out the information. There's a downloadable poster. Feel free to print as many as you want in your community. Distribute them. There was a truckers organization in, in Virginia, United States, that put my son's picture on their trucks for a while. And tooled around the U.S. with his picture on there. That's the kind of thing we need to keep doing. And if something has happened to my son and he is not working, the, walking this earth and somebody knows something, anonymously tell us so we can investigate it, so we can find my baby. In just a few weeks, it will be 15 years since Lucas vanished. Is it possible that he could have sustained himself over these past 15 years from the age of 14 to 29? There have been detectives from the RCMP, the Vancouver Police Department, and people from missingkids.ca looking for him. There have been tips, sightings, anonymous phone calls, but nothing tangible. We live in an era where people are perpetually online, yet there hasn't been a digital trace of Lucas either. Was Lucas able to run away for this long? Was he able to create a new life without family, identity, or leaving a footprint? Or did something more sinister happen? We know that there are a lot of people who travel between Prince George and Edmonton, including those in the criminal world. Sometimes Edmonton beefs are settled in Prince George and vice versa. Why was Lucas looking for gang protection in Edmonton? Was that connected to his disappearance just a few months later? And what about the Edmonton girls who celebrated his disappearance on social media? What did they mean by RIP and teaches you to fuck with us? And what was it that he wanted to speak with Gina about on the morning of June 7th, 2007, hours before he disappeared? Did an issue in Edmonton follow Luke to Prince George? We hope that this is not the case. We hope that Lucas is alive and well and listening to this episode right now. Lucas, if you are listening, or if you're a friend of Lucas, please get in touch with Gina and Jolene. Message the Facebook group or call the Missing Kids hotline. You are missed and people are worried about you. We will be posting some photos of Lucas on our Instagram, including an age progression sketch that Gina says gave her chills for its accuracy. If you want to help this family, please share this episode. You can also join the Facebook group called 
Luke Degerness is still missing. We will link that in our show notes. In this group, you can download Luke's missing poster to share on your own social media feeds. We will also post this episode with photos to share on Facebook. Lucas is described as 5 foot 8 inches tall, 140 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. The last confirmed sighting of Lucas was in 2007 in Prince George. If you have any information about Lucas, you can contact missingkids.ca at 1-866-KID-TIPS or 1-866-543-8477 or call Crime Stoppers. We would like to thank you for joining us for this episode, and we also want to thank Gina and Jolene for trusting us with Lucas's story. Our producers on the podcast are Sherry, Alexa, Urs, Donna, Dennis, Cheryl, Shelley, Kathleen, Mandy, Alicia, L.A., Vicky, Barbara, Colleen, Blair, Melanie, Alberta, Carolyn, Barbara, Shandy, Kelly, Jimmy, Jessa, Lisa Marie, Thomas, Maureen, Lorena, Colleen, Susan, Kennedy, and Alex and Andrea. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.